For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, the joy of music at a piano bar in downtown Tucson. Visit a naturalization ceremony to welcome 46 new Americans. Hear about Rogue Theater's fresh look at the picture of Dorian Gray. And an essay from wildlife illustrator Beth Surdit about the adventures that may be outside your window. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Thanks to a number of factors, downtown Tucson has been undergoing a cultural transformation. It's bringing new music, art, and food to the area. Tony Paniagua stopped to listen at a downtown pub that's reviving the pastime of piano sing-alongs. It requires brave volunteers who can carry a tune, a pianist with the right touch, and a songbook of hits. Take a talented musician and some willing performers. Set them in a cocktail lounge and bring in an audience and you've created the scene for a piano bar. It's a place where friends and drinks combine with music and song. A lounge where you can blend in quietly in the background or take center stage and participate. The man behind this piano bar is Elliot Jones. Jones is a college teacher who loves vocal music. Be it choral music, classical music, jazz, musical theater, as long as there are singers, I'm happy. I'm more of a player for singers than I am a solo pianist. So I just, I just come alive when I play for singers. back to Tucson's new piano bar. Jones earned his doctoral degree at the University of Arizona. He moved away for a job in Missouri and travels back to the desert whenever possible. I spend about four months a year in Tucson, about a month at Christmas time and three months in the summer, so I'm a bit of a reverse snowbird. His partner lives in Tucson and manages a gallery at Old Town Artisans near the Tucson Museum of Art. One day the men came up with an idea for a piano bar. They spoke to the owner of the Dusty Monk Pub and she agreed to give it a shot. Now you can hear the piano music twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. My name is Erica Burkhart and I am a singer who lives in Tucson. Erica Burkhardt has known Elliot Jones since they attended the U of A for music classes. She is friends with Jones on Facebook and reads his posts about the piano bar. The first time I came, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. I wasn't going to sing at all, but it's all these songs that you know and love singing along with in the car anyway, so I got up and gave it a shot and then I wound up singing most of the night. The 
Andrew Campbell is an audience member or a performer, depending on the music and the number of people who are willing to sing a song. Campbell used to live in Florida, but he made a career move to Tucson in 2014. I'm glad this actually started. Um, a lot of other cities have piano bars, so I'm glad we're doing this in downtown Tucson. Downtown Tucson has had such a revitalization over the past few years, and I'm glad we're adding a piano bar to this. I love to sing. It's one of my biggest stress relievers. I sing with um, Reverend Men's Chorus, so right now we're taking a little uh, break right now, so this gives me an outlet to do some of my singing. Donald Murray is the manager at the Dusty Monk Pub. It's, it's been really great, you know, we've, we've had a good little crowd in here of the performers themselves and all their friends and, and I think it's picking up steam, you know, it's on, we have Facebook posts about it and so each time it's been a little better. And Murray hopes the trend continues, especially since summer months in Tucson are usually the most financially challenging for multiple businesses. You have to keep evolving and be creative, he says. The pub has pool tournaments, vinyl nights and the piano bar, among others. It seems like the locals are coming out more and sort of, you know, relaxing and enjoying Tucson with, a, you know, a slightly smaller population and a little more space. So hopefully that'll happen all summer. And at one point, Elliot Jones, the musical snowbird in reverse, is scheduled to pack his bags and return to his job in Missouri. So the pub may look to other musicians to bring in their talents and continue this tradition. Meantime, Jones is at the driver's seat at the piano. He says it's a favorite place for inspiration, diversion, and cooperation. We are going to welcome back Erica Burkhart to sing I'll Know from Guys and Dolls. I encourage everybody to sing. So we've got some pros who come in and do their thing, but we've got some folks who just come out of the woodwork on Tuesday night. Someone who had just moved here from New York came in and didn't quite know what she was going to sing, but she did it and she did a great job. So we welcome anybody and everybody to come on down. I'm having a great time, I'm having a great time. I can wear my jeans, my short sleeve shirt, and just do my thing, it's great. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Tony Paniagua. And I said to myself, sit out, sit out, you're rocking the boat. I said to myself, sit out, sit out, you're rocking the boat. We live in a nation founded by immigrants. Each year, more than one million people take an oath of allegiance to the United States at naturalization ceremonies across the country. Next, Mitchell Riley visits one ceremony at the DeConcini Federal Courthouse in Tucson, where 46 individuals are becoming new Americans. All rise for this naturalization ceremony held on Friday, June 19, 2015. The Honorable Judge Frank R. Zapata presiding. Good morning. Thank you. Please be seated. My name is Frank Zapata. I'm a senior United States District Judge, and I have the honor of presiding over this naturalization ceremony. I wish to welcome all of you and I want to congratulate all of the candidates who have worked so hard to reach this momentous day. The courtroom is packed. Nearly 100 people have gathered to witness this important occasion. Parents, siblings, and grandparents among them. I also wish to 
congratulate and thank the friends and relatives who have supported these candidates in their quest for citizenship. Without your help, they probably wouldn't be here today. 46 candidates from 17 countries are here to become Americans. Today is the last day you will answer the call as a citizen of your former country. From now on, you will answer the call as citizens of the United States of America. I'll call the names out of each countries, and as it's called, please stand so we can acknowledge you. First, we honor the candidate or candidates from Sudan. The Philippines. Israel. We have people that have come out of Sudan, uh, other places where they leave their country and go into these refugee camps. And basically their life is hopeless in these refugee camps. It's a place where there's not enough food, there's not enough shelter, uh, there's no medical treatment, there's violence. And we also have people who have made treks across the desert and then legalized themselves here and now are becoming citizens. Uh, there's no end to the stories of, of how people got here. And, and everyone is more amazing than the last. And Mexico. Thank you, thank you. With all the joy around this occasion, the realities of today's world are not lost on Judge Zapata. We don't want criminals coming into the country. Uh, that doesn't better your society. Uh, we don't want people who are coming into the country to harm us. So there needs to be a process where these people are weeded out, but not a process that denies everybody entry because a vast majority of them are coming here to seek a better life for themselves and for their family. And in doing that, creating a better life for all of the people in the United States. To those folks who say it's time to close the door and stop the flow of immigrants, Judge Zapata responds. It is our country because we're here now. We were and are a country of immigrants, unless you happen to be Native American and, and you were here before, before everybody else got here. But there has been wave after wave of immigrants into this country, and every immigrant group that comes in, they come here to better their life. Almost everybody can look back in their family and see someone, someone came from Italy, from France, from Spain, from Mexico, from England, from Ireland, any country you can mention. And in your background, there is that immigrant that came here for a very specific reason, and that was to better themselves. And for these immigrants, Zapata has this message. The moment they take their oath, they're equal to every other citizen in this country, regardless of when that citizen came here. And this is that moment. At this time, the clerk, Ms. Melissa Guzman, will now administer the oath of allegiance. All persons who are taking this oath, please rise and raise your right hand and repeat after me the oath of The, the main thing that I stress is, number one, to educate yourself, to continue to learn English, because it's, it's a language of education, of business, of government, everything that they're going to encounter. I also stress becoming part of what is America, 
We do have a culture in America. Become part of that. Don't give up your culture from the country you came from because that's important too. That makes up this whole quilt that we are in America. Don't give up your language. Don't give up your religion. But become an American. Get into America. And then, of course, the most important, register to vote. If you don't vote, you have no voice in this country. You know, and I tell them, hey, America's a great country. But now it's up to you and to me to keep it a great country. So help me, God. After the oath, new citizen Georgina Lopito leads everyone in the courtroom as they pledge allegiance to the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God. 52-year-old Georgina is from the Philippines. Today, her name carries a special meaning. Thank you, you may be seated. My moms give me my name because I was born on February 22nd. It's uh, George Washington's birthday. Named after the man often referred to as the father of his country, Georgina is grateful for this day. I would like to thank, first of all, God and my family and my husband's family, and I'm glad that we are here in America too. I'm the last one. Now they are teasing me that I'm American girl now. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow citizens, I welcome you to America, and I thank you for coming here. Since the birth of our nation, it has been a country of immigrants. In my case, my father was an immigrant to this country from Mexico. My mother and her family were actually born here in the United States in Arizona before Arizona was a state. After sharing a bit of his own story, Judge Zapata calls on his fellow citizens and their families to share their thoughts about today and what it means to them. Becoming a citizen is like being born. You're not gonna be born again and you're not gonna become a citizen again. Today is the one and only day. And if you have something that you'd like to share with us, there's a microphone, come up and share your stories with us. Good morning, my name is Tayana. I'm from Brazil and it's an honor to be here to become a citizen of this beautiful country. I wanna thank you, my husband for his support and all my family that came from Brazil uh, to witness this moment with me. Thank you very much. My name is Eduardo Casas from Mexico. I was born in Oela, Sonora, and I'm very happy. Thank you, thank you to my, my wife, my son, my teacher, the English, my friend, Clark. Congratulations. Congratulations, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. After many years of procrastination, I'm finally here. And I'm thankful, very, very thankful to God for that. I also want to thank my family. My husband, my children, my granny. Thank you guys for being here and for supporting me. I love you guys. Thank you. Hello, my name is Camila, and I'm here to um, congratulate my my grandpa Luis Cancio, and I just wanted to say that I love him very much. Thank you. I came out here as a young kid 
to, the, to this country, across the border, Mexico. I've been here for 30 years, and now I became a U.S. citizen to, to have a better job and to help my family. I have my wife here, my daughter, and my little niece that just surprised me. I didn't think she was going to speak. And I want to say thank you and congratulations to everybody. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mitchell Riley. That was a radio adaptation of a story produced for Arizona Illustrated. You can see the story you just heard online at azpm.org. At one time or another, we have all daydreamed about what it would mean to possess immortality. Almost 125 years ago, Oscar Wilde wrote a cautionary tale about that fantasy being corrupted by vanity and selfishness. In the picture of Dorian Gray, Wilde envisioned a character who never has to pay a price for his good looks, his decadent lifestyle, or his cruel treatment of others. But the repercussions of his actions are reflected in the grotesque decay of a portrait that Gray keeps hidden away, a source of an obsession that begins to erode his sanity. This weekend, a new stage adaptation of Wilde's Tale of Timelessness opens at the Rogue Theater in Tucson. Joining me are director Christopher Johnson and Danny Dreyer, who plays the title role. Who would like to tell me about the relationship that you've developed as director and performer? Well, I'll talk a little bit about it. I met Christopher when I was 17, and we became friends. We were friends first, and then he was working at Live Theater Workshop with the Late Night Program, etc. Forgive me if I'm not accurate. I think I am, though. (laughs) He was working on a production of Midsummer Night's Dream, and he was trying to finish casting it. And I said, well, I'll do it. No problem. I had never been in anything before. I had no real acting credibility. I was in choir in high school and a couple of plays, um, but really had no idea what I was talking about. And he gave me basically a side to read um, from the play, the character Bottom. And I read it outside in the parking lot. And he said, you're hired. And then we've really, I think we've done two dozen shows together now, something like that. What's a quality you saw in Danny's performance there in the parking lot? (laughs) An aggressive charisma that I sort of couldn't take my eyes off of. That quickly established our bond of doing plays in which I cast her in roles in which she sort of defied those roles conventions. Yeah, we've we've definitely been each other's muse for, for a very over long a decade. Time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. I think people know us best for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We've done it twice now in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Then how did this production of Dorian Gray come into being? Dorian Gray has always been my favorite of Oscar Wilde's works. Um, And of course, he's best known as a playwright. Dorian Gray is his first and only novel. Um, And I've always wanted to see it on stage. Um, And there are some adaptations of it that have been done over the years. Part of why I've never produced any of them is because none of them are pure Wilde. They're all more representative in their own right of that given adapter or playwright's own voice and what they think of the story. So what do you think it needs to have to make it pure wild? Well, what I did was I trimmed the novel away from the play that I always saw in it. You know, he had such a gift for dialogue and conversation, and it was primarily how he, what he used to move his stories along. So um, I just sort of trimmed around what I saw as a play within the novel. 
Danny, what was your impression of that language and the themes that uh, Wilde is working with in Dorian Gray? I've never read the book. I've never seen the movie. But the story of Dorian Gray has always been one. It's like, you know, Faust. Everybody kind of understands the concept of, you know, selling yourself to the devil or trying to live forever, that kind of a thing. Just through conversations that I've had, most people think it's, it's about hedonism, which it is. But a lot of what Christopher was able to pull out of it was more of the sort of sexuality of it and the the love between the characters and the relationships between the characters that are that are just as important as this idea of hedonism or good versus evil or living forever and it's it's been a lot of fun playing this character so far <laughs> um the language of oscar wilde is you get to have as much fun as you want on stage or else honestly it really doesn't make any sense and so i've had it's been a kick just being able to to run with it the simplest sentence mm-hmm. in an Oscar Wilde piece just drips with decadence. It's, the, the language is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Wilde tells us in the preface to the novel, and this is included in our production, that it is the spectator and not the artist that a piece of art reveals. So there's kind of an interesting question about, does Dorian take his portrait too seriously or not seriously enough? And watching him sort of war with that question is very Mm -hmm. interesting as you watch the play progress. Um, Because the more the portrait reflects the evils that he commits, um, the further down that path he goes. You know, it's, it's in the story that he locks it up and he doesn't want anybody to see it. He doesn't want anybody to know that it's there. And you can almost say that he's ashamed of it. But there's also this like strange amount of pride that he has in it that um, he's able to get away with murder, you know, literally and figuratively. And there are points in it where I'm, you know, I'm holding a mirror and looking at my face while looking at the portrait that I think in in the dialogue somewhere, it's talking about how he still has the beautiful face of a 20 year old and the picture is just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And it's, it all comes from the inside. This is actually part of why I cast Danny as Dorian Gray, because not unlike the portrait and the journey it takes, Dorian Gray is this sort of impossibly beautiful young man, and it seemed to me that that would be distracting. As an audience member, I feel like I would just be watching that character and not listening to the story, but thinking about how beautiful that given actor was or was not by putting a woman in the role, a woman who I've already spent a decade training to be a leading man. Um, I feel like we, we lose that, that issue and can get straight to the the meat of the story. Mm -hmm. I spoke with director Christopher Johnson and lead performer Danny Dreyer. The Rogue Theater presents The Picture of Dorian Gray through July 25th, and there is a link for information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Artist and writer Beth Serdit listens to ravens and is paddled with alligators in wild and scenic places. But she also knows that true adventure can be found just outside your window. Mug of early morning coffee at the ready, I was about to open my laptop when I was stopped by a miniature storm outside my window. Dry earth the color of a brown paper bag flew through the air as one of three resident rabbits dug a tunnel under a pine tree. About seven feet away, Another rabbit hopped in to graze under the bird feeder. The digger, busy chewing daffodil bulb, 
gave chase. Racing across grasses so drought-dry they crackled underfoot, Digger soon returned to resume excavating as I scanned to see who else might be in the bushes. In just those few minutes that I turned my eyes away, Digger had completely covered and camouflaged the new entrance and was aggressively chasing a very large ground squirrel. Turns out, Digger was protecting her subterranean babies who emerged right at my feet as I sat outside soon after sunset. Had I leafed through the newspaper, or tunneled my way through a book about animal behavior, or checked my messages, I would never have known about the rabbit warren that I had walked over countless times. I would have missed watching three adult rabbits of varying sizes, two baby bunnies that could fit in the palm of my hand. Had I not practiced the art of paying attention, I would have missed the drama, the mystery, the life right in front of me. When Rachel Carson wanted people to pay attention to the effects of environmental pollution, she personalized the far-reaching effects of pesticides by asking readers of her New Yorker pieces to look out their windows, and they did. Not only did people see the corpses of poisoned squirrels, they took action. Whether motivated to protect the human species or every little life in the larger ecosystem, the results raised enough awareness to make changes. Like Carson, I know from experience that if you pay attention long enough, you can see the whole world in your yard. And once you start looking, it is hard to stop. From my perspective, paying attention brings care. Care brings love, and that love engenders protection. I am extending an invitation to you to observe with unbounded curiosity the wild life that flies, crawls, and skitters along with us in our changing environment. Let's get involved. Let's acknowledge that we are part of it, not some separate and more important entity. The natural world is not a foreign land where we book a vacation or take a class, even though there's a plethora of information urging us to get back to nature. We never left. You can see Beth Serdit's portrait of the baby bunny on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Find more of her drawings and true stories about spirited critters at listeningtoraven.com. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The music is by Calexico. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.